Remember this chart from Johns Hopkins University? The world watched as U.S. COVID-19 deaths climbed past 1 million, but China's numbers stayed below 5,000. Well, three years later, China is now changing its tune, saying tens of thousands have officially died from the virus. But is that the real number? A new study from Peking University estimates over 900 million are infected with the virus in China. The study goes on to note that of that number, 80 percent are facing severe symptoms. Now, that study has already been deleted from all platforms in China. Is China about to see a massive death wave? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. For the first time, China has provided an official fatality measure of the unprecedented COVID-19 wave now sweeping the country. The new disclosure shows a massive spike in China's previous official death toll. But experts warn the number is still just the tip of the iceberg. Let's take a closer look. Over the weekend, China said almost 60,000 people died of COVID-19 since early December. This number was based only on hospital deaths and counted patients who succumbed to respiratory failure or other underlying diseases. Just a day earlier, China had reported only less than 40 virus deaths while battling the world's largest outbreak. But experts say the new figure is still likely to be an underestimate. According to a report from Peking University, 64% of China's population was infected by mid-January. That's about 900 million people. Some experts believe China's current average fatality rate to be about 0.4% among unvaccinated. Given China's low vaccination rate among its 1.4 billion people, that means China's official death count is only a fraction of the estimated minimum mortality total. A Chinese resident says he doubts the official death toll. There are so many crematoriums across the country. Would they be overwhelmed if 50 or 60,000 people died? I still can't be convinced by this number. In addition, the new official toll of 60,000 also translates to about one daily deaths for every million people in China. That's as Hong Kong reported over 67 daily deaths per million. There's no scientific explanation for this difference. As per se, the mainland's figures are inconsistent with those in other countries or regions. The whole country has fallen into a tacitus trap, a situation where people no longer believe anything the authorities say. Whether with the previous number or this number, people find neither believable. That's amid reports of overwhelmed crematoriums around China, suggesting excess mortality levels. Well, modeling efforts by global researchers forecast up to 2 million deaths in China by the end of this year. An update on China's COVID-19 outbreak and how it's hitting the country's military. Related information is under strict control in China, meaning news about what's happening is limited and difficult to access. But the official newspaper of the PLA, or People's Liberation Army, shed some light on the situation in an article published Monday. The story calls it necessary to, quote, systematically solve the problems of epidemic prevention, quarantine and treatments, further adding that the army should minimize the impact of the pandemic on its ranks. Just how big is that impact? The article doesn't say. But last month, Radio Free Asia quoted an insider as saying army members in Baoding City got infected and that the situation was spiraling out of control. The city of Baoding holds military importance for China. 
And at the same time, the city seemed to be fighting a major outbreak. Residents there have started posting photos or messages about the situation, saying they or their friends and families have been sickened. The U.S. will penalize Chinese inbound travelers should they provide fraudulent COVID-19 test results. That's according to a senior advisor for the White House COVID response team. During an interview with VOA, Dr. Nahid Badalia clarified the consequences. She said activities like providing inaccurate or misleading information to the government can be subject to criminal offense charges. Her warning is based on the travel restriction order the CDC placed on Chinese tourists earlier this month. According to a screenshot from Chinese social media that was later posted on Twitter, a Chinese passenger managed to arrive in Russia, despite testing positive for the virus. The person revealed that he, quote, filled in the real information. Then airport staff asked him to change it and select no to all questions. A lawmaker from Texas is pushing for a new bill. If passed, countries, including China, would be banned from buying real estate in Texas. This as China becomes the biggest foreign buyer of U.S. real estate, spending a record $6 billion in 2021. The top destinations for Chinese buyers are California and Florida. Chinese buyers have also been scooping up land near U.S. military bases. For example, a Chinese corn milling company bought land 20 minutes away from the Grand Forks Air Force Base in North Dakota. A former Chinese general also bought land near Texas's Laughlin Air Force Base, the largest pilot training base in the U.S. Air Force. Back to the Texas bill. It's sponsored by Texas State Senator Lois Kolkhorst. The bill would ban citizens, governments and entities from China, Iran, North Korea and Russia from buying land in Texas. Texas Governor Greg Abbott confirmed on Twitter he would sign the bill if it's passed. The Lone Star State has been tightening control of foreign access to its property and infrastructure. In 2021, Texas passed a law that bans companies from making critical infrastructure-related bills in the state if they're owed or controlled by China, Russia, North Korea or Iran. Two of China's state-run airlines are pulling out of the U.S. stock market. China Southern Airlines and China Eastern Airlines announced Friday they would voluntarily delist from the New York Stock Exchange. Based on a Washington Review Commission, the airlines were the only two state-owned enterprises listed on the NYSE. That's as of late September. As for why they're delisting, the airlines listed factors like limited trading volume compared to their Hong Kong-listed shares and high upkeep costs for their U.S. listings. The companies have now joined a bigger wave as China-based entities pull out of the U.S. stock market. Analysts have hinted Beijing is behind it, under threat of a U.S. law. It says foreign companies that refuse to open their books to American regulators for three years in a row will be forcibly delisted, something Beijing has refused for years, citing its national security. The news comes after another Chinese tech giant quit the American stock market last year. On Monday, that company got the green light to resume its new user registrations in China. Chinese regulators have ended their year-and-a-half-long crackdown on rideshare app Didi. But the story behind it is much more than meets the eyes. And it has much to do with its U.S. listing. Here's the latest.
DD Global can finally resume new user registrations in China. The ride-hailing giant confirmed the move Monday. It was a sign that Beijing's one-and-a-half-year-long regulatory crackdown on the firm had come to an end. DD said in a statement it had carefully cooperated with China's review and dealt with security problems. The company also said it would take measures to ensure platform safety and data security. Monday's news comes as Chinese policymakers look to restore private sector confidence. They are counting on the tech industry to help drive economic activity hit hard by the health crisis. Sources had told Reuters DD first found trouble with watchdogs when it went ahead with its US stock listing against the regulator's will in 2021. It was ordered to take down its 25 mobile apps from app stores. New user registration was suspended and the company was fined $1.2 billion over data security breaches. DD was also forced to end its 11-month-long journey as a New York stock exchange-traded company in June last year. China's foreign minister is wrapping up his five-country Africa tour. Cairo marked his last stop on Sunday, where he said Egypt and China held strong strategic mutual trust. We will communicate and coordinate with the Egyptian side on bilateral relations and international and regional issues of common concern and promote the new and greater development of China-Egypt relations. For more than three decades, China's foreign ministers have started their terms by visiting Africa. China has been Africa's largest trading partner for 13 years. Mutual trade is expected to top $260 billion in 2022. Beijing has also heavily invested in and loaned out funds for infrastructure in African countries through its Belt and Road Initiative. Experts say Beijing wants a foothold in Africa through seizing control of infrastructure when nations are unable to pay back their Chinese loans allowing its military greater global access. On the western side, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is gearing up for a visit to Senegal, Zambia and South Africa. The U.S. is now working to strengthen ties on the continent and offer nations there an alternative to dealing with Beijing. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is set to meet with Chinese Vice Premier Liu He in Switzerland on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum. Let's zoom in on what officials say they'll talk about. According to a Treasury official, they'll also cover global challenges, like the possibility of a world recession, the corresponding risks, and how to boost cooperation. The in-person talks come as U.S.-Beijing relations remain tense, despite their trade ties. Washington has blocked the sale of advanced computer chips to China and is considering a ban on investment in some Chinese tech companies. What's more, Beijing's threats to invade Taiwan have proven another point of conflict. The U.S. has said it would defend the island in that situation. Yellen has also criticized China's financing practices on the African continent, calling them economic practices that have disadvantaged all of us. Likewise, she's called on Beijing to end its relationship with Russia as its invasion of Ukraine continues. The Yellen-Leo meeting is part of a joint pledge to work on easing that strain following President Biden's November talks with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. They spoke alongside the G20 summit in Indonesia. Yellen does not plan to attend the World Economic Forum. Other senior U.S. officials will represent Washington instead, including Trade Representative Catherine Tai and Climate Envoy John Kerry. China's chief wolf warrior diplomat sidelined. 
He was the country's foreign minister spokesman and a vocal defender of Beijing's zero COVID-19 policy. But now he's getting demoted. According to China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Zhao Lijian is now the deputy of the Department of Border and Maritime Affairs. It's a position on the same level as spokesman in China's communist system, but carries far less importance. For three years, Zhao served as a high-profile envoy of the regime's so-called wolf warrior policy. The term is used to describe Beijing's confrontational, combative brand of diplomacy. Here's how Beijing wields the technique. When the pandemic broke out in 2020 inside China, Zhao suggested on Twitter that it was possible the U.S. military had brought the virus to Wuhan. What's more, one of the most well-known episodes struck in later 2021, when Zhao touted China's fight against COVID-19 while speaking to foreign journalists. You must have been laughing up your sleeves being able to live in China during the pandemic. The expression refers to when someone is pleased with their situation but keeps their pride over it to themselves. Some say Zhao's oust as ministry chief signals a softening of Beijing's wolf warrior policy, especially following last month's mass anti-lockdown protests. An Australian-based historian commented, for people like Zhao, the CCP uses them when they're useful and casts them aside like a worn-out shoe when they're not. Japan and India are conducting their first joint drills together on Monday. That's in the face of an increasingly aggressive Chinese regime. The action comes on the heels of a Chinese drill in the South China Sea on Sunday. Japan's prime minister just returned from trips to the U.S., Italy, the U.K. and Canada. The prime minister is bolstering Japan's defense to protect itself from Beijing's threat. Coming up, how far along is the modern moon race? What do the contest's weapons look like? And is there a way to rein in aggression from certain countries? And we have very few indications that China truly wants to engage in peaceful activity and to cooperate with other nations peacefully on the moon. We hear from Rick Fisher, senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center, to find out more on that. His remarks after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Is the moon about to be conquered? The moon race between the U.S. and China is heating up. What does that competition look like militarily? And looking at the Artemis Accords, an agreement among countries about rules on space exploration, will the deal help when some countries act aggressively in space? We spoke to Rick Fisher, senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center, to find out more. Chinese journals have indicated they, they, that, or have, have suggested the placement of uh, large laser devices on the moon, ostensibly for uh, conducting scientific research of the Earth's atmosphere. But given uh, the dual-use nature of China's space program, we, we have to expect that uh, any placement of, of laser devices on the moon, uh, laser mining devices, for example, would also uh, allow the Chinese to use these uh, use this equipment as a weapon. As 
military satellites are put in deeper and deeper orbits to avoid uh, ground-launched uh, anti-satellite uh, missiles, then it becomes more attractive to put either missiles or laser weapons on the moon to attack these deep, deep space satellites. Uh, the most important deep space satellites for the United States are our uh, early warning system satellites called uh, DPS. These satellites are very necessary for detecting the launches of missiles on Earth, such as nuclear-armed intercontinental ballistic missiles. So without our DPS satellites, we would be much less able to detect and thus defend ourselves from a nuclear missile strike from either China or Russia. And this would be part of the reason for China to want to put laser weapons on the moon, to be able to take out, at a minimum, our early warning satellites. Rick, going back to the, say, alliance or accords that many countries are signing on, when it comes to defending space, would we see something similar to maybe an Article 5 of NATO or something where countries would defend themselves? Do you think we'll move in that direction? It's hard to say uh, at this early stage, uh, Tiffany. However, uh, the Artemis Accords do uh, carry a very heavy implication for moving in the direction that uh, you suggest uh, should it be necessary. And if China or Russia uh, uh, violates the, the spirit of the Artemis Accords, even though they're not members of the Accords, they've refused to join, uh, th then they would be declaring themselves as an imminent threat. And uh, that would then justify leadership from the United States and, and other Artemis Accord members uh, to unite and come together for their self-defense. Now, we're nowhere near that stage but given China's imperial uh, behavior in the South China Sea, its threats to start a war over uh, the small democratic uh, country of Taiwan, a war that could lead to nuclear conflict, even an exchange of intercontinental ballistic missiles. And Rick, when it comes to the importance of the moon, whether resource-wise, strategic-wise, all these different areas, it seems you and others have already been warning about this for years, but now we seem to be getting more coverage of it. Why do you think that is? What changed? Well, what's changing is that uh, China has clearly uh, assembled a very ambitious uh, program for building the means to get to the moon and then to exploit the moon once it gets there. China's behavior on Earth, its ambition to become, become the uh, hegemon politically, economically, and militarily, all point to a desire by the Chinese Communist Party to also be the hegemon in space. And we have very few indications that China truly wants to engage in peaceful activity and to cooperate with other nations peacefully on the moon. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party views all democracies as threats, including the United States, including Japan, especially Taiwan. And uh, there's really little reason to expect that China 
will view democracies on the moon any differently. And Rick, given China's recent activity in this area, how is this next space race shaping up between China and the U.S.? Well, unfortunately, because uh, former President Barack Obama canceled the American moon program in 2010, China has had a decade essentially to catch up, if you will. Uh, China now has two space launch vehicles in development to get to the moon, uh, a kind of medium heavy lift vehicle that can transport about 25 tons to the moon, and then a super heavy lift space launch vehicle that can transport 50 tons to the moon. The American space launch system, which was tested successfully for the first time in December, can ultimately put 25 tons on the moon. But the uh, reusable uh, uh, Starship being developed uh, by the SpaceX Corporation, that's expected to make its first uh, uh, launch into low Earth orbit this month or possibly in February, has the potential for putting 100 tons of cargo on the moon. Uh, if the Starship is successful and uh, its uh, moon landing variant is quickly developed, then the United States could have a real advantage in the current moon race. So it sounds like now it's become a very tight race, but with all of this all of these developments. Any last words? It remains critically important for the United States to sustain funding for its moon program. Uh, China could initiate wars on Earth in many places, uh, on the Taiwan Strait, uh, on the Korean Peninsula, possibly in, in, in the Persian Gulf or between Pakistan and India. All these conflicts would threaten to divert uh, American funding away from our moon program. We simply cannot allow that to happen because the Chinese Communist Party's plan for hegemony on Earth requires hegemony in space. And if the United States were to cancel its moon program again, as did President Obama, uh, we would be helping to ensure that China gains hegemony on Earth by helping it to gain hegemony in space. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.